Well, good morning, Victory. You excited for the word this morning? Amen. Well, let's pray. And again, just want to thank Pastor Richard and for giving the opportunity to be able to break bread with you this morning. I know that God has something that he wants to speak to us today that is, will be relevant to what we're going through. Amen? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can just open your word, God. Lord, we know that your word is alive and that it's active. God, that it gives power, God. It, it, Lord, it gives strength. It, it gives peace, Father. And I just pray this morning as we look into your word that it would help, Lord, just relate to everything that we're going through. God, that you would change our thinking, Lord, as we leave here today. Lord, that we would be changed and empowered by what you're going to do this morning through your word. God, just again, we, we give you honor and glory for all that you've done. And Lord, we just... We love you, God, and we, we need you this morning. We need you to come, God. Meet us this morning, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but how many have been pretty depressed by what you're seeing around the world and around our nation? It's pretty depressing watching the news and, and just seeing everything seem to just be in utter chaos. But we believe this morning that God can give us a mindset. How many of you would love to have a mindset that would help be able to walk through everything that's going on this morning? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, being kingdom-minded, learning how to deal with what's going on around us and in our world, having a, a strong mindset. That word minded literally means inclined to think in a particular way. Another definition is mental capacities. How many of you have certain levels of mental capacities? I have come from a very big family, and so I think it's helped build up a, a strong mental capacity. But how many of you have that person where you know when you're around them long enough that you've reached your mental capacity with them because of who they are? We have to be honest, and sometimes situations and circumstances can overflow our mental capacities, can't they? <clears throat> There was a, a veteran U.S. Navy SEAL who was retired but went into a job interview. And this is what he said at the end of the interview. He said, I'm sure the other candidate checks all the boxes. A veteran of the U.S. Navy SEALs told his final round interviewer at a financial services company. But here's one thing I can tell you about me. There's not a single situation that will occur at this business that will make me feel uncomfortable. With that, the SEAL won himself a job, beating a traditionally better qualified candidate with an MBA from a leading business school. How many uh, veterans do we have in here, people who have served in the military? We've got a few. You know, when you go through training from ones that I have talked, they train you to that change. You're called to obey orders, but sometimes in situations, you may not be able to get specific orders and you're trained to learn how to adjust in those situations. We as God's people want to learn how to adjust when we feel like we don't hear from God or when situations change unexpectedly in our life. We want to learn how to adjust, don't we? You know, some of the news headline topics that I literally read, um, if you have an iPhone, you can go under um, an app called News. You just tap it. These were some of the headlines that I was just reading through before I had to turn the app off. 
dangerously mutated COVID variant detected in 47 U.S. states. Taliban says strict punishment and executions were returned to Afghanistan. Grocery store shooting leaves one dead and 14 injured. Congress faces shutdown, debt crisis with no plan B. U.S. border crisis, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. These are the lovely headlines that scroll across our news every morning to give us a nice jump start to our day. As Christians, we have to learn to be kingdom-minded even when things are in chaos. We can't allow what's happening out in the world to bring division inside the church. And the only way that we can put our heads down and walk into what God has called us to do is by living in unity as a church and learning how to be kingdom-minded. Amen? If you, are, if you have your Bibles, if you could open up with me, we're going to look at just a few verses this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And we are going to look at the life of Jesus and how he learned how to be kingdom-minded even when things changed. Amen? Give you guys a second to turn there because I want you to follow along with me so that you are receiving the word and seeing the word and not just hearing it. So Matthew chapter 4. And you'll have to excuse me if you hear me cough a couple times. I'm still getting over when I had COVID, bronchitis was developed, and so I'm just still getting over that. So please be, bear with me, okay? So Matthew 4, starting in verse 12, says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is it that helped Jesus to have a kingdom mindset when he began his earthly ministry? We're going to look at three specific things just in this text on how we as a church, even when we leave here today and things may change this week or we may look at the news headlines and more are going to begin to fill up, we're going to learn how to have peace even when we read and see the chaos. Amen? And Jesus is going to help that, looking at the life of Jesus. So number one, the first thing that Jesus had or did to continue developing a kingdom mindset when he was beginning his earthly ministry is simply Jesus moved forward in difficult circumstances. Jesus moved forward in difficult circumstances. Verse 12 says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. This is one of the hardest things as Christians, isn't it? When circumstances change, when things happen out of our control, isn't it so hard to move forward into what God has for us? We feel paralyzed. We feel fear come on us. And the enemy would love nothing more than to keep us at bay when God's kingdom is always moving and always advancing. But Jesus moved forward even in a difficult circumstance. 
So what was the difficult circumstance? We have this man, John the Baptist, who, who he came before Jesus to prepare the way for him. He was a man people loved. He was a man people adored. John loved the people. He preached God's word. He preached repentance. He baptized people. But how many of you know, no matter how strong of a Christian you are, you're going to have people who love you and you're going to have people who don't love you. And you want to know why we know that? Because Jesus said it in his word. He says that they hated him. So we as Christians, we can't live this life of pretending that we're going to be liked by everybody. We have to love people. We have to show them the light of Jesus. But we also have to have the understanding that there's going to be a few people who don't like us. So John the Baptist, who was a great man of God, lived for God. But all of a sudden, he was arrested. Can you imagine in our day and age, if even our pastor was arrested because he was preaching the word of God. Can you imagine what that would do? How would you feel? What would shift in your emotions if that's something that you witnessed? There's a lot of things that happen in our life, but we have to be kingdom-minded. And that will help us to advance forward even in changing circumstances. So John was arrested. This might have been scary because the disciples were with Jesus. They were just beginning the earthly ministry and they think, oh my gosh, this is what I'm giving my life for? John just got arrested. And we know as a church later by reading the Bible that he was executed terribly, a terrible execution. And so do we allow those things to put us in fear or do we develop a kingdom mindset to be able to move forward in these? I wanna read you an article that I found of a church in Egypt that has been under attack. And in this article, the interviewer asked questions for this church. And so I'm just gonna read through it and I want, you to, I want you to be encouraged by it. So it says, the recent violent terror attacks on Christians in Egypt, two bombings on Palm Sunday, and the recent ambush of a church bus full of men, women, and children in Minya represent an unspeakable evil towards our brothers and sisters in Christ in this region. But what Satan means for destruction, God is using for his kingdom by creating a platform for Christians to share the gospel like no other time in Egypt's history. We spoke with a field leader in Egypt to discuss the recent attack, how the church is responding, and where God is working in the midst of these tragic events. The first question that was asked was this, how is the church in Egypt recovering from the ISIS terror attacks on Palm Sunday and last week in Minya? This was their answer, we have not recovered. At the same time, there's a lot of talk about forgiveness and loving our enemies. After the Palm Sunday attacks, the churches were cleaned up quickly and packed with Christians, with services every day of Holy Week. They had the funeral in Tanta the same day of the attacks for security reasons. The bodies were buried on the church premises. Both the church in Alexandria and Tanta were filled with praying Christians throughout the week after the attacks. It reflects the willingness of the church not to cower in fear to these terror attacks. The bus attack brought much pain and sorrow. It's the fourth deadly attack on groups of Christians in just six months. Sadly, I don't anticipate it to be the last one. The Church of Egypt will obviously continue to face persecution and direct attacks from the radical Muslim groups, and we have to live with this fact. We are in a spiritual warfare against the kingdom of darkness. However, after each attack, we've had the opportunity to speak out in the media and to testify about the gospel message of love and forgiveness in the face of evil. This was the second question that was asked to this church. What do you see God doing in the aftermath of these tragic events? The answer was this. It has never been so clear 
and so open for the church to share the gospel. Easter Sunday on Channel One, which is our equivalent to CNN in the U.S., there was a two-hour interview with a Coptic priest and an evangel evangelical pastor of the largest church in Egypt about the power of the gospel. It was an incredible platform to evangelize the whole country of Egypt. The focus was on the death and resurrection of Christ and what it means and how the Christian faith is all about the love and forgiveness and how this relates directly to our persecutors. God is revealing his love to the people of Egypt. Pain and agony are like seeds growing up through the soil of our country to produce the fruit of the gospel. God is using these events that Satan means for destruction as the greatest gospel platform in Egypt's history. Just a couple more questions. The third question was, how is the Muslim community in Egypt responding to the powerful witness of Christians to forgive their persecutors? The answer was this. There are millions and millions of Muslims wondering how the Christian church has received so much pain and loss and responded with grace and forgiveness. This kind of forgiveness is jaw-dropping in the Muslim community. And the fourth and final question was this. What is your message to the global church? How can we partner with the church in Egypt? And this was their answer. God doesn't consider borderlines. There is one church, and we need to work together to join hands. It's not about money. It's not about the poor church in Egypt and the wealthy church in the West. It's about walking this journey together. We need prayer so that the hearts of Christians in Egypt could not melt in fear but remain courageous for the name of Jesus. And then he says, please pray for the church of Egypt as we take one attack after another with deep pain. May the Lord have mercy on Egypt and may his light open the dark minds and hearts. Amen. What a powerful testimony of what God is doing in his church. And as I read that, I just began to question myself, why does it seem like the church in America has not developed this mindset? Why does it seem like we are fighting within our own churches on divisions that are happening outside of the church walls? I believe that we have to pray and ask God to give us that kingdom mindset. It is the only way that we as a church can move forward. It is the only way that God's power can come and we can begin to see lives transformed and changed. We have to somehow move forward even in difficult circumstances. I'm not saying that we don't mourn. I'm not saying that we don't take time to rest if, and if we're mentally breaking down. I'm not saying that we don't seek for help, for counseling to make sure that we're good. But what I am saying is that we don't raise up the white flag and quit because of what is happening in our lives. God will give us that mindset and it is only he that can give us that strength to help us move forward. John was arrested and would be executed in a terrible way, but Jesus still moved to the next place that God was calling him. Don't allow the enemy to put a difficult circumstance to divert you from what he wants for your life. Amen? When persecution hit the early church, people were being killed. The church scattered. But you know what? When the church scattered, the gospel was being preached wherever they scattered. You, the enemy cannot stop the word of God. The enemy cannot stop the advancement of the kingdom. And we want to have that kingdom mindset as a church, especially in these days. Amen? You know, something that was really personal to me and seeing was my mom, who um, many of you know, I've shared it before in the youth ministry, um, but I lost a brother when he was nine years old and I had just graduated high school and went into college. Um, he was nine years old and, and 
there was a, a, a medical mistake and he, it ended up costing his life. And I remember the walking into the hospital when they gave us the news and I saw my mom who was, her eyes were bloodshot, she had been crying and she was with the doctor who was, who was crying. And, and I remember just, it, it was like a shockwave through our family. We just couldn't believe like that it had happened and it happened so quickly. And I remember when we had the wake, now David was only nine years old, but he was a worshiper. When he would come to church, he would be at the altar, he'd be worshiping, he would be like singing and celebrating. He really loved God. And we knew that he was experiencing God's presence. And I remember when we were at the wake, the director, the funeral director said that this was the largest wake that the, they had ever seen in the history of the funeral home, a nine-year-old boy. And I remember as we were standing in the receiving line, I looked over at my mom and she's comforting people, hundreds of people, one at a time. They are weeping on her shoulder and I'm watching as she's laying hands on them and, and praying and smiling. And to me, it just, it blew me away. In that moment, it's like I saw that we, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, God gives us a strength and he gives us a peace to move forward. And I've never forgotten that. And I know that when he passed away, we had donated his organs and we received letters from people who were saved and now living full lives because, because of that. And so what, what the enemy means for destruction, to try and divide our family, to try and split our family, God used for his glory. And so many people were touched because of that. God can give us the strength to move forward. Jesus did not allow the imprisonment of John to keep him at bay and frozen in fear. He withdrew to Galilee. He continued walking what God has called him to do. Amen? So point number one was what? Jesus moved forward in difficult circumstances. Point number two to help us keep a kingdom mindset is Jesus was obedient to direction. Jesus was obedient to direction. This can be one of the hardest things as a Christian. Well, even if you're not a Christian, it's hard to be obedient. <clears throat> one of the things my mom would make us do when I was younger was if we did something wrong, we'd have to write out. Um, the, so, for example, if I disobeyed, I had to write out a thousand times, I will obey. And that's what I would do. I'd sit at the, and that was one of the most things I'd have to write out all the time because I was pretty disobedient when I was younger. I've come a long way. I'm pretty great now. But <laughs> when I was a child, let me tell you, the disobedience... I just remembered sitting at that dining room table and writing out, I will obey. I remember I even tried to tape pencils together so I could try and get through it even faster. But she knew. She knew the change of pen penmanship. Obedience is hard as a believer. But Jesus was obedient to direction. Look what verse 13 to 16 says. <clears throat> and leaving Nazareth... He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Why did Jesus be obedient to move where he moved specifically? Well, verse 14 gives us that answer. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Do you know what that word fulfilled means? Fulfill in the Hebrew means to make full, to fill up, or to complete so that nothing shall be wanting to full measure. 
That's what fulfillment means. There were a people who were living in deep darkness. We are a church of many nations. And as I've come to hear some of the stories of what some of you have gone through in your countries, the, the, the aftermath of, of so much devastation, it blows me away and it, and, it, and it encourages me when I see people up here worshiping who have been through difficult circumstances. God sees when we are in deep darkness. And he put into action 700 years ago a prophecy that Jesus is now fulfilling. Isn't that powerful? This is not the first time that we see this scripture in the Bible. If you can read, you can read in Isaiah chapter 9, 700 years ago, God put this prophecy in the mouth of Isaiah and he spoke it out. And now 700 years later, the Messiah has come and he is fulfilling what God has done. Because Jesus was obedient, this prophecy could be now fulfilled and was being fulfilled. Amen? God is still speaking deliverance to people who are living in deep darkness. And that's a powerful thing. He sees where we are. He sees the devastation happening. And he's not sitting on his hands in heaven. He's putting into action his kingdom, which is moving in power. And more people are being saved this day now more than ever. The church in the world right now. The enemy can do whatever he wants, but when we have a kingdom mindset, we can see that God is exploding the church, that people are emptying hell to be populating heaven right now because people are being obedient to call of God on their life. Amen? Jesus moved here in this text from his hometown, which was Nazareth, to the region of Galilee because he was obedient to what God had spoken. So we see two types of regions here. We see Zebulon and we see Naphtali. There, these were the two tribes of Israel who settled in the northernmost region of the, near the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth was in the territory of Zebulun, which was the lower part of Galilee, while Capernaum was in Naphtali, which was the upper part of the Galilee region. This was very interesting. Listen to this. The trade route that ran through this region of the Mediterranean Sea was called the Via Maris, or Way of the Sea. Jesus' ministry will extend far beyond the physical confines of Jewish Galilee, influencing those traveling through the region. So what does that mean? How many of you have driven by the lovely Providence Place Mall on the lovely highway of 95 and all that beautiful work that they're doing? They've been doing work since I came to Bible school here in 2006, and they're still trying to figure it out. But that place is always busy because if you think about it, it's the main highway that connects people from down south to people going north. And so you have thousands of different people every day who are driving down that highway, driving through our city in Providence. What's amazing is because Jesus was obedient to what God called him to do, you can think of Capernaum as being this little tiny town that didn't really matter, but God strategically paced him there, one, to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah chapter nine, but two, because it was a major trade route. Thousands of people were going through there. So not only would he affect the people who are living in that area, people who are leaving from that place to go to another place would encounter in Jesus and take that encounter with them wherever they one. Jesus, God knows what he's doing when he places people. He knows what he's doing when we can be obedient to what he's called us to do. When we do it without question, when we do it without hesitation, when we have our trust in what God wants to do, God places us in areas because he's strategically advancing his kingdom and wants us to encounter certain people. Amen? 
So don't ever doubt where you are. Don't ever doubt and think what I'm doing is meaningless, where I am is meaningless. God foreknew before the creation of the world this time in humanity. He knew before the creation of the world where you would be and where you are right now. And if we can learn how to be obedient to God, even in the chaos and the difficulty of our lives, God's kingdom will be advanced. We will see people come to know Jesus and encounter his power. Amen? Why? Because Jesus was obedient. What I love is this description of light. We see that the people who are dwelling in this area were living in darkness. And not just darkness, it's, 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 it's the shadow of death. It's a place of death. But you know what's really powerful? Light shines brightest in the darkest, doesn't it? Some facts about life, that light, that I thought were really cool. How many of you wear eyeglasses to help read or to see? So I do as well. I have contacts, and you'll rarely see me with my eyeglasses. If you do, take a picture, because that's a very rare occasion. I did not want to wear glasses when I was, this was not in my notes, but I have, I have a little time. I, I, I went to get my uh, driver's license, and I played basketball since fifth grade. I knew that I had bad eyes, and I never told my mom. I somehow got through middle school and got through high school without anyone knowing that I had bad eyesight. I would sit in the front of the classroom so that I could see the board a little bit better, and I got by until I had to go and get my license. So I went in, and they have a little eye test where you stick your head in this thing and you have to read the letters. And I remember I stuck my head in, I couldn't see anything. And all I'm doing is praying. I'm praying, God, please, let my eyes see. Let me just see this. Let me just get by. Stuck my head back in again, nothing. My mom's looking at me like, what's the matter with you? Like, we're all standing here. There's a line behind us. And I looked at her. I said, I can't see. She's like, what? I said, I can't see. I can't see a thing. So with the awkward moment, they actually let me use my twin brother's glasses to pass the eye test. But they said, do not let him get in a car until he gets glasses. And so I got glasses, and I remember when I came out and my mom was driving me home, I literally was seeing the world for the first time differently. I mean, I'm looking at individual leaves. I'm looking at, it just, it was an amazing experience. And what's amazing about eyeglasses, listen to this, eyeglasses can correct vision because light changes speed when it passes from air to a glass or a plastic lens. This causes the rays to bend a little bit so that it can help correct. Isn't that amazing? Another thing about light is, listen to this, bioluminescence, which means the emission of light by living organisms like fireflies, bioluminescence is the largest source of light in the oceans. So what does that mean? 90% of all creatures who live below 1,500 feet are luminous. They are literally light. There comes a point when you are diving in the ocean, you get to a point where the sunlight can no longer penetrate and it's complete darkness. So what did God do to allow animals to survive? He made them light, literally made them light. World War II aviators used to spot ships by the bioluminescence of the wakes of the ship's waves. In 1954, Jim Lavelle, who later was the pilot of Apollo 13, and lastly, we know the speed of light. It's pretty fast, isn't it? Light travels at 186,000 miles per hour. So what does that mean? Well, it can travel around the earth in seven, seven and a half times in one second. So if I count to one, one, light has traveled around the earth seven and a half times. That's how fast light goes. And I love how what, Jesus, what God is describing 
this breakthrough for people who are living in darkness. He says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death on them, light has dawned. We were at my brother-in-law's last night, and they moved from uh, Cranston out into the country of Connecticut. And they literally live in the middle of nowhere. And so we went out there just to see the new house, and, and it was starting to get dark, and we were making a fire. And we looked up, and all you could see is the stars. It was like, it was, and, and I'm holding Abby, and I said, Abby, look up. And she looked up, and it was like, it's like she had never seen stars before. We've, you don't see stars in the city. You've got to go somewhere where there's no light. And it was such, her eyes were huge. She couldn't believe how many she could see. But it's because it was dark. The light shines brighter in the darkness, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And wherever he went, the people who were living in darkness received an encounter and walked in deliverance and freedom if they allowed that light to penetrate their life. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found that it's, that, in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. I read in a commentary that before we come to know Jesus, we are literally like a dark silhouette. No light in us. But when we become saved, we become children of light. So that silhouette now is full of light. But this commentator described it as the darkness is still around that silhouette of light trying to get in at all times. And Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus to live as children of the light. The people living in Zebulun and Naphtali saw the light because the light, Jesus, was obedient to God's will. They were able to have an encounter with God because Jesus was obedient to God's will. You know what's interesting? Jesus could have stayed where he was in Nazareth. He could have stayed in a place of familiarity, but he chose to leave it. Sometimes we have to be obedient to God even if it means we become a little bit unfamiliar with what God is doing. You know the crazy thing too with the Messiah? It would have been more fruitful for him to go in a sense to make a name for himself to Jerusalem, not to Capernaum. This would be a strategic. If you're trying to make a name for yourself, if you're an influencer, you go to the big capital. You go to the big place. You go where the temple is. You go to where people know the scriptures. But he didn't go to a place there. He went to where God called him. We as a church have to learn that it's not about making a name for ourselves. We have to learn how to be obedient to God. Young ones, youth, we encourage them. Don't make college decisions based on what you think. Make them on where God is calling you to go. There were two major events in the life of Jesus' earthly ministry that preceded this text that we're reading. You know what they were? It was baptism and it was temptation. You know what baptism is? It's an outward declaration that you are saying that you're a Christian. Do you think Satan loves when the church declares that they are children of God? No, because as soon as Jesus was baptized, what happened? The temptation came. We're going to be having a baptism service in a couple of weeks. It's going to be powerful. And we always tell people, when you make a public declaration, you've got to be prepared for the temptations that will come. Jesus wants, us, wants to use us, but the enemy wants to take that light away from us. 
Once Jesus was baptized, the temptation came. What are you being tempted with right now? Is it affecting our measure of effectiveness as a Christ follower? It's not just that this is where people needed Jesus. It was where God wanted him to be at this time. Jesus didn't choose familiarity in Nazareth. He didn't choose convenience in Jerusalem. Jesus chose where God wanted him to be at that time. We as a church, to have a kingdom mindset, whether you're a youth or an adult, we have to learn how to be obedient and say, God, where do you want me to be? I had um, a professor in college when I told God what I was gonna do for my life. Um, I went to a school and I did, I did three years there. I was in criminal justice. That's where I thought I was gonna be. I was gonna become a police officer. That's, that's what I told God what I wanted. God used an unsaved professor to change the trajectory of my life. When I was sitting in one of the classes, before he said hello to the class, he walked to the front of the classroom, he looked out at the class, and he began giving statistics of how many people would be leaving the class. He didn't smile, he didn't make things pleasant, he stood up there and said, in two weeks I won't see 50% of you. Now he's been a professor for 35 years, so I think he knows what he's talking about. But at one point he looked at the class and he said, if you are not 100% sure that you are called to this field, he goes, cut the class now. And I don't know if he ever said that to every class, I don't know, but I felt like he was speaking right to me. And for the first time, I realized this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't know where to go from there. It's not like the heavens opened and God said, go this way. But I knew that that's not what I was supposed to be doing, and I knew that's not where I was supposed to be. God still used those three years. They were not wasted. God still used those three years, but he used an unsaved professor to change the trajectory of my life. And from there, he brought a pastor who came through my church who recommended one Bible school, and the rest is history. We have to learn how to be obedient and submit to where God wants us to be. I've been doing youth ministry for many years, and I've had many youth tell me, this is what I want to do for my life. You can choose to do that, but you cannot submit to God's will and tell him what you want to do at the same time. You can't. If you want to forget God's will and do what you want, you can do that. I've seen people do that. But in my situation, I was praying, God, I want your will for my life, but then I was doing my own thing. But God, when you have that prayer, God will put people in your life and you have a moment in your life to be obedient. And that's our prayer for the youth. Tara and I, Dave and Rosita, we pray over the youth that they will learn how to pray now, pray for decisions and for God to lead them where they want to go. Amen? And it's not about us. It's because God wants to place us in a place where people can encounter Jesus. Amen? So the last point is this. Number one, Jesus moved forward in difficult circumstances. Number two, Jesus was obedient to direction. And the last point, Jesus never changed the message. Rachel, I'm going to have you come, if you can just come and, and close this out as I go through this last part of the scripture. And we're going to pray together and just pray that God just seals this word on our hearts. It is so important that we as a church develop this kingdom mindset now where we are. God wants to do so much, doesn't he? I just think ahead of the people who God wants to bring into victory. And you want to you know how they're going to get in here? He's going to use you in your workplaces. Sometimes it can feel like this job I have is a dead end. I don't know what's happening. God knows exactly what's happening. He has you placed where you are right now specifically to have people around you encounter Jesus. 
Amen? So lastly, Jesus never changed the message. Matthew 4, look at verse 17. It says, from that time, so what does that time mean? The time that John the Baptist was arrested. John the Baptist was preaching repentance. He was preaching the word of God. And from that time where he was arrested and could no longer preach publicly, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't change what John was speaking. He actually picked up what John was speaking. There are people who have gone on before us, martyrs, who have given their lives for the kingdom of God. And we aren't called to change the message out of fear. We're called to speak the same message. And what is that message? It's repent. Repent means this, to change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Repent means to regret past sins. Repent means to live your life in a way that proves repentance. Repentance means to seek God's purpose for your life. There's an old cookie recipe my mom taught me years ago. I love cookies, by the way. When I was in elementary school, I would watch my mom make these cookies. The rest of the family didn't want, they just wanted to, to, the fruit of it. Once they were done, they'd come in and, and make themselves a part of what was happening. But for me, I just had to, I loved watching the process. And it was a difficult process. This cookie she got from a lady who was in Alaska, and other people know these recipes, but the way she did it, they came out perfect all the time. We would bring them to bake sales, and they were the talk of the school. Whenever there were bake sales, are the O'Briens bringing the no-bake cookies? We would come in with a thing, and they'd be sold out within an hour. And I watched as she began to teach me how to do it. She passed it down to me. She says, you do it this way. You use these ingredients. And so I learned how to do it, and I, and I make them the same exact way. I haven't changed one thing. I actually still use the same spoon that she used when I was in elementary school, the same wooden spoon. But what's funny is I've given the recipe from people or tasted other people's versions of them. I can tell that they've made changes to the recipe. I remember I was at my Bible school, and we got this new cook. And one of my friends who worked in the kitchen, kitchen he's like, we made the no-bakes. And I was so happy, I rushed to the, the lunchroom, and I looked at it, and I could tell even by looking at it, I said, what did they do? I bit the cookie, and it was like, it was bitter. I was like, I looked at my friend, I said, this is not the recipe. And as I was praying over this service, I was asking, you know, I was thinking, why would people change the recipe? Well, number one, to cut corners. Some people just don't want to, do the full process. And I've had people who've told me, I messed everything up. I'm like, well, did you do this? No. Well, you messed it up because you skipped a step. So sometimes we, we change things because we want to cut corners. Sometimes we change things because we want, they wanted to get a faster result. These cookies take time. And I've seen people cut corners because they wanted to get a faster result. And another one is convenience. They only used what they had in their house. They didn't want to go out to the store to get the specific ingredients. Even Tara will say, why do you always use that brand? Because that's what I was taught. And that's the ones that sold out. So I'm not going to, why am I going to change it? I've seen people, the health nuts out there. Well, why can't we use this? Go ahead and use it. Then they call me back. The cookie's never solidified because you use that junk. <laughs> if you want to enjoy the, 
the quality of the cookie don't change the original recipe. If we want people to encounter Jesus, we don't change the original message. But churches nowadays, we've changed the message because we've sometimes seen the results of what the message does. The message of the gospel isn't always life encountering to some people. John preached and was beheaded because he preached the message. Why was John beheaded? Two reasons. One, political. Herod Antipas feared that John's popularity with the people in his preaching and baptism might lead the people to some form of rebellion against the government. So he arrested him. And the second was morality. John told Herod that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. And so Herod tried to silence him. We are living in a day and age where when we speak the truth of the gospel, even to the younger generations and the older generations, they don't want to hear it and they become offended by what the gospel says. But we as a church, we can't change the message. Don't change the message based on how somebody reacts to you. Don't change it because to those who are ready, it's going to be a life-encountering, changing time in their lives. We're living in, a, in a, a, a culture of morality that is decaying. It's decaying. And what, we, what are they trying to do? When we speak the gospel, they're trying to silence it. We are living in such a cancel culture, it's unbelievable. If we say anything that, that goes against their thinking, it's we're judgmental and we're haters. Herod was a hater of John because of what the message spoke. It brought conviction to his life circumstances. The, the light of the gospel will bring conviction to people's lives, but we are not called to change the message, no matter what. The light of the gospel reveals things. Amen? Can you stand with me this morning as we pray? Galilee was the ruling place and territory of Herod, who imprisoned John. And that's where Jesus went into. He could have left the region and said, well, if I preach the same message, then they're going to arrest me too. He walked head into the territory that Herod had control of and he became a light to those living in darkness you may be surrounded at your workplace by people who aren't saved ask the Holy Spirit to let the light of God shine through you people will notice a difference did you know that how you live affects the level of brightness how you live how you speak affects your level of effectiveness we as a church, we're called to live to a higher standard. And the world is trying to push that standard down. But I promise you, if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you live for that standard, you will have encounters with people you never thought. You may have people who hate. You may have people who are uncomfortable. But we don't change the message, do we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray this morning over your church. We need a kingdom mindset right now, especially in the days that we're living in. We need to have a kingdom mindset, oh God. 
Father, we just pray that we could look at the life of Jesus and that, Lord, that you would change us, Lord, that we would begin to reflect Jesus. As John preached, he would say, I need to decrease so that he may increase. God, let that be the prayer of the church this morning, that we would decrease so that you may increase. When you increase in our lives, people are saved. When you increase in our lives, people are, are, can live in freedom and they're broken from the bondages of their past. Lord, when we decrease and you increase, God, we have the power and the authority that you've called us to live in. When we decrease and you increase, we live in that peace of knowing that we're in the will of God. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to move forward in difficult circumstances. God, we pray that you would help us to be obedient to direction, to where you are calling us, God. And Lord, we just pray that we would never change the message of the gospel, that we would never take anything away and we would never add anything because it is the genuine, unfiltered gospel that changes and encounters people where they are. And Lord, help us to live that nowadays. Help us to not fear what man thinks and what man says. We want to stand for the applause of one, which is Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we need you to come and empower us. Wake us up. We need an awakening in the church. We need revival, Lord, that you would change our thinking, God. Lord, that you would teach us how to repent again. The church needs to repent, God. The church needs to repent nowadays. And it's in repentance that you come and you fill us with your power, God, to move again into our culture that's living in darkness that needs to see the light of Jesus. Oh, God, come and fill your church this morning. Fill your church this morning. Seal what you've spoken this morning. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. We pray that you have a great week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Just a reminder that there is a meeting. We went a little over, but there's a meeting for Guatemala if you're interested. And as well, there's a meeting following the second service for baptism. We love you guys. Have a great week.